You are listening to She Speaks with the Great Canadian Woman. Welcome to the She Speaks podcast. You are here to uncurb your potential, reclaim your power, and disrupt the norms that have kept you lingering in comfort for far too long. It is time to step into the ring of your life and light it up. Tune in every Monday and Wednesday to be ignited by a new, refreshing, and potently courageous Canadian woman to remind you of who you are, what you're made of, and what you're here to do. Visit thegreatcanadianwoman.ca to learn more about how to become a published author in our coveted book series, how to access our high-powered Woman in Action workshops, or apply to become a contributor on the blog or podcast. So get ready, get set, let's blaze some trails. Hello, my name is Jamila. Thank you so much for connecting and listening to this conversation. I am grateful to be able to record and share this podcast episode with you from the traditional, unceded and sacred territories of the Sanghees, Esquimalt and Wasanich peoples. I'm grateful to be able to live, grow, and play on the territories, especially as I continue to grow as an entrepreneur, as an activist, as a sister, an auntie, a caregiver, and all the other identities that I carry. I was born and raised in what we know today as the Dominican Republic and the Caribbean, as many of you might know it. And my ancestry is Taina and also of African descent and Spanish. When I look at both my my mom and my dad's ancestry and I look back at our lineage and our relationships, it's interesting for me to find so many um, relatable concepts to the territories I'm living on right now. And this is where I'm hoping I can shine a light for you. And as I speak, I, I will be bringing a social justice lens, but also the lens of a financial educator, which is a lot of the work I've done has been with women, with communities, towards healing our relationship with money, but also understanding how to navigate the financial system. And I can't work in the financial system or through the system without acknowledging that historically, uh, most of the communities that we work with have been disenfranchised, have been negatively impacted by colonization, by the systems that we've established and That is why I wanted to host this conversation today, for it to be a moment where we can ask ourselves some questions and figure out ways to move forward while acknowledging and honoring our cultural ancestry. And what does that even have to do with everything I'm mentioning? And this is, I think, where a bit of my background will make sense, but I came to what we know today as Victoria, British Columbia, about seven years ago to study at the University of Victoria. And... When I was in university, I got really interested in other subjects around diversity, inclusion, equity, but also finances and sciences. I had a quite diverse interest in different topics. And 
what I realized though is, you know, when I wanted to dive into something more deeper, like how does business work? And I would attend events and go to spaces that had been curated for, I guess, people traditionally in the spaces, I didn't feel welcome. And I didn't feel like I fit in. In fact, I feel like I had to dress differently, uh, wear makeup and, and do certain things or maybe speak in certain ways. And I found myself actually observing more and more often so I could duplicate what I was seeing because I didn't want to stand out or to be considered different. And when I look back at my experiences of wanting to blend in and not wanting to look different, I have to ask myself, why was that my experience in the first place? What was in place that didn't allow somebody like myself to feel free enough or, or comfortable enough to self-identify or to share my values or share my stories? And I think we understand today when we look at the challenges and the problems we're facing, the, the mental health crisis, the financial crisis, the environmental crisis, the decisions we've made up to this point, which have led to spaces like those ones that I experienced at first, those are not the decisions that are going to move our communities forward. In fact, those are not the decisions that will help strengthen communities that have been historically oppressed and disenfranchised. And the reason I say this with conviction is because, and I, and I welcome you, please argue, but when we look at history and when we look at politically, systemically, even legally, the decisions that have been made up to this point, we need to ask ourselves, who have they been made to, who are they benefiting? And who made those, those rules and those, you know, who made them? And when I say that we need to create spaces and, and give more room for different worldviews to come and work together, I don't mean about being exclusive. I mean about when we're looking at solving today's challenges, you know, as a co-founder, I think this will make sense too, as an entrepreneur, I am a co-founder of two companies. One of them is Nayoka Design Labs, is a social enterprise and we focus on solving social and environmental challenges through our uh, solutions. And we leverage sustainable biotechnologies, products, and land-based knowledge to really create solutions that are on its own asking themselves questions like, does this solution, is it regenerative in essence? Is it regenerative of the land where it's going to end on? And when we look at our, our flow of materials, we follow what is called the circular economy process and the circular economy model, actually, where we look at the waste that we generate through our whole system. And we ask ourselves, how can we reduce this waste or completely eliminate it? Acknowledging that there's no such thing as waste, but everything is a resource. And that's a change in mindset already that we can start to implement in the work that we do and how we relate not just with our businesses, but with our communities. There's no such thing as waste. But there's the opportunity to rebuild something stronger. And there's the opportunity to innovate with different perspectives. And that's why it is so important that as we rebuild our communities after the pandemic, as we rebuild more just and inclusive communities, we look at the intersectionality you know, we look at how women, 
have been, in many cases, excluded from obtaining certain positions in the workplace? What are those barriers that limit women from achieving true financial independence, financial wellness? And we also need to be wary of what are those stories of financial freedom that are shared with us by the media. And I'll tell you my financial freedom story, or at least my understanding of it. But when I was with my coach and I was looking at my personal finances with my partner, the question came forward, what is your definition of financial freedom? And for us and for me, I understood that it meant that I choose to work because I love the work that I do, but I never have to sacrifice my community's impact, my positive impact in community because of work or because of not having the financial means to achieve this. And that's where I realized that ultimately we needed to shift the questions that we were asking And we needed to shift the ideas of what it means to be wealthy, what it means to be in a leadership position, what it means to be a business owner. Because those same spaces where I didn't feel welcome at first, why did I not feel welcome in them? And how would other people feel? Other people with ideas that will strengthen our communities, our local economies, and again, We'll be achieving our goal of advancing justice and equity. And so here's a question I want to bring forth to you. The work that you're doing, and um, you don't need to answer right away, but I invite you to take this question with you and carry it throughout the next part of the podcast. But what you're doing, does it support the creation of pathways where impacted communities can be beneficiaries? And let me break it down a bit differently. I want to bring the example of my my other social enterprise where I'm supporting through our impact model. And this one is called AfroHub Market Space. And through AfroHub, we were looking at the disparities and the barriers that, more specifically, Black founders and Indigenous founders as well, what barriers are they facing that is not allowing them to Um, I have equitable access to services in the entrepreneurial ecosystem because we already know there's resources everywhere, but why aren't people benefiting from those resources? What, what is it? Is it a knowledge gap? Is it, is it culturally? Is it that sense of not belonging? And so we had to go into our communities and we had to ask the questions and we needed to ask people, how can we make sure that you benefit from our actions And as we build our own economic and resilience and financial independence, how can we bring our communities with us? And sometimes we need to take it down a step, uh, even a step back and say, what are those communities that I relate with? You know, sometimes we haven't been taught to think in that way. And I know I feel very blessed that I can say I am part of, of the global indigenous community and I'm a... I'm an indigenous citizen. I'm a citizen of the world. And uh, alongside, I am also part of smaller communities, especially on this territory. So I'm part of the community of black leaders, of women. I'm part of the queer community, among other things. And so when I bring and I think about those communities and I consult and I ask what I am doing today is supporting the strengthening of those communities. 
And that takes me to my next part where, again, I'm starting from a place where I've experienced what it feels to be excluded. And so it is now my, I feel it's my duty, it's my responsibility to make sure that those conditions are not duplicated again. As I am building support and services and my own resilience, my own version of resilience, right? I need to make sure I don't duplicate the same actions that drove me to feel unwelcomed. And I think that's where a lot of us fall short, including myself, where because we've been taught to think and operate from a certain perspective, in many cases rooted in colonialism, in notions of division rather than unity, we continue perpetuating those same actions. And this is where I invite you to ask yourself the next question where it is so important for us to pull from our traditional knowledge and our ancestors and the people that came before us. And when I mean before, I really want you to think about and I invite myself as I do this. I am thinking back about my my ancestors who came from Africa as well. And I, when I look back at my history, there are signs of potentially, because unfortunately I can't identify fully what's my heritage, but I see traces of the Yoruba people. And I can ask myself, how can I reconnect with that part of my ancestry? But what can I learn that's going to help me build more just and inclusive societies today? Because I know that what has been done to this point when I think about colonization and separation and segregation, that's not what I want to continue fostering. And when I look at how that shows up in myself, I look at anti-blackness. I look at notions of how things should work and how they should not. And really the whole process of decolonizing myself, especially as I step up into more positions of leadership and power and influence, which, by the way, we all have influence. When you think about yourselves, whether you're an auntie, a mom, a leader in your respective field, even if you are, even if you feel like you have no, you hold no power, there is somebody looking up to you. And this is where we need to ask ourselves: How do I make sure that I don't perpetuate those same notions that created more division between our communities and others? right? Where is that sense of otherness even coming from? And this is where I want to link it back to how we relate with each other, uh, how we relate with our own sense of spirituality, our own mental, physical well-being, or financial well-being. Because especially as women, our history with money, you know, and as I work with women as a financial educator, as a coach, I see so much pain and pain that usually arises from our, from us operating from a space of scarcity. And again, I have to go back to the system and ask ourselves, why is it that so many people are getting paid below the living wage? But I can't just blame the system. Because it is also up to us to understand and to learn and to identify and to unlearn what are those habits and operating beliefs that are also pulling us back from having healthy relationships with money and from actually leveraging money as a tool that is going to help us achieve maybe that impact that we want to see in our communities. 
And I'll give you an example. I was having a, I got a call from one of my coworkers, who's also my friend and a mentor for me. And we were talking about how we needed to plan in our midterm to long-term goals, creating a foundation that would specifically give back to our local communities in the Caribbean. And more specifically, a foundation towards helping young girls access entrepreneurial education and opportunities. Because the drive and the talent is there, but are the opportunities there? I don't see that. And it's the same stories when we go to marginalized communities. And when you look at what is weighting our communities down and where, you know, the sense of being a strong black woman, I don't want to be known as a strong black woman anymore because my strength also comes from trauma and resilience. Resilience that had to come up because I had no choice. And so when my friend and I were talking and we said, you know what, let's create a budget and let's see how much money are we going to need to actually have a strong impact in our communities and to help girls and young girls connect to those resources in a way that is safe, that honors their cultural ancestry and that doesn't teach them they have to change themselves to fit in these spaces, but that the spaces are unlimited and that their culture is welcome just like yours. You are listening to this. And I tell you, uh, when I think about my entrepreneurial journey and when I think about what I can learn from my ancestry and Afro-Indigenous futurism, it's way more than just understanding the history of colonization. It's about looking at our ancestry, our, our knowledge, our relationship with the land. And I will tell you right now, everybody has ancestors not everybody recognizes or is aware of those maybe relationships yet they haven't awakened to that but I want to ask you and invite you to imagine with me because that's it when we speak about Afro-Indigenous futurism really is it about how we are preserving language through storytelling is it how we are pushing for our own narratives to rise above other narratives which might portray negative images and stereotypical images of what it means to be a black woman who leads, an indigenous woman who leads, but a queer person who leads. And of course, I only speak about those because those are my closest identities. But I invite you to listen and to engage with me as I look at what it means to, to pull from Afro-Indigenous futurism and pull it and bring it to my work, to the work that I do, as I teach people how to manage and how to live better relationships and how to live with their money, right? But also as I lead in my businesses and as I lead with community, which hasn't been an easy journey. And I wonder if you're also asking yourself these questions, then this might be helpful for you. I invite you to not just focus on understanding the history of colonization. I invite you to take a step further because it's not just about creating policies or writing papers or doing a blog post of how you acknowledge racism and, and discrimination and what you're planning to do with it. You know, it's, it's beyond a mere understanding of the history of colonization, but addressing how a system of supremacy, superiority, and privilege has taken our own mindsets 
has shifted the way we relate with each other from colorism to anti-blackness to internalized anti-blackness to white guilt from privilege to access and deciding who has access and for me it's a process of learning and unlearning and cultivating a sense of agency and reconnecting with my ancestral roots but hey here's the question what if you can't reconnect what if you don't have a path or a knowledge keeper or an elder and I think that's where our communities come in play and it goes back to my previous question who is your community what is your community what pain collectively what is your community experiencing when I look back at many of the communities of women that I've had the privilege to work with There's a lot of pain again around building and reclaiming our own agency, whether that is through our financial well-being, our spiritual, our mental. And really, I share this to get you thinking and to ask yourselves, whatever you're doing today, as a starting point, how will it support the creation of pathways where impacted communities can be the beneficiaries of what you're doing? And that's where we can close the loop. This is where a circular economy comes in play. This is where you create spaces for somebody like myself to pull from my ancestral knowledge and from, from knowledge that is not necessarily documented in books, but knowledge that you learn through experience, through stories. And this is where you create spaces for people that will build the path to our futures, you know, to advancing things like the Sustainable Development Goals. This is where you create spaces for more social enterprises to thrive because inherently our values, when it comes to building community wealth, redistributing wealth, in my case, it's about building capacity. And it has to come from all of us working together and asking those tough questions and designing systems around those questions. And when you think about the work you're doing today and the work we are doing today, who will benefit from this? And that's where I invite us to think about the seven generations that will come after us. And if not seven, think about one, think about your children, your grandchildren, which can be easier to imagine. And ultimately, ask yourselves and I heard this, it was one of my best friends who shared this question, actually. She said, how am I becoming a good ancestor today? And that's my closing question for you. If you want to connect, I invite you to reach out. Connect with me on social media. Find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, find. And let's continue this conversation. And let's continue asking questions. And let's keep learning. Because ultimately... This is a step towards building more just and equitable and financially resilient communities. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the She Speaks podcast by The Great Canadian Woman. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite player so you don't miss a single episode. And if you love what we're doing here, we would be so appreciative if you could leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. And if you want to connect with today's guest or become a guest on the show yourself, head to thegreatcanadianwoman.ca forward slash podcast. Until next time, make waves, move mountains, and blaze trails.